You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Things we began to do was to preach in the prison. We began to preach in the jail in our area and um, just uh, got a burden for the men that were behind bars and so forth, probably, well, from 1980, about 1983, 1984, up until COVID, we were actively involved in prison ministry, in jail ministry, and uh, as a result of being in the jail, as a result of being in the prison that long, men began to call us all those years ago, and they'd say, Brother Alfred, Brother Philip, we got saved under your ministry, we were fixing God to jail, fixing God to prison, and uh, if we go back to the same environment that we come from, we're going to end up in the same mess that we were in to begin with. And so we were wondering if there was any way possible you could help us get our feet established in society once again. And so back in those days, we cleaned out a Sunday school room, turned it into a bedroom, and uh, we began to take men in one by one. We'd house them, we'd clothe them, we'd feed them. And of course, that gave us the opportunity to preach the gospel to them, watch the Lord begin to work in their heart and their lives. Little did we know what the Lord had in store for us back then. Uh, as a result of doing that, God began to open our eyes and uh, allowed us to see some things that we did not know prior. Uh, for instance, 83% of men uh, that get out of jail go back. 83% of men that get out of jail go back. And uh, so we begin to recognize that, begin to understand that, and uh, we just come to the conclusion somebody's got to stop that cycle, and uh, the only person I know that can stop that cycle is the person of the Lord Jesus, have their hearts and lives changed, and uh, change their direction. And uh, many people ask, why is that the case? Well, uh, just briefly consider when a man goes to jail, most of the time he loses his driver's license. When a man goes to jail, most of the time he loses his friends. And uh, most of them, when they get out of jail, have no family, nowhere to go. And uh, so they, that, that's, they're bound to going back to their old way of life, their old friends that got them in trouble. And so it's just a continual cycle. God began to open our eyes to that fact. We wanted to be involved uh, in helping them get out of that cycle, see them saved, help them grow spiritually, help them become an active citizen or or a, um, a successful citizen in the area in which they live. And uh, so God began to work in our heart in that area, not only in, not only in reaching men behind bars, but we deal with men, begin to deal with men that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And so we've done that for a number of years, about 13 years ago now. God birthed a ministry out of our church called Fair Haven Home for Men. And that's exactly what it is, a ministry of reaching men behind bars, men on the street, and uh, men that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. And uh, so my family and I are full-time on the road representing the ministry. This is our first time being in this part of the country. We got ready to fly out last, uh, I guess it was last Saturday we left home. And uh, somebody said, you better take your coats now because it's going to be cool when you get there. And uh, my wife brought hers. And I thought on the way, I said, man, I forgot my coat. But you know, I hadn't, I hadn't needed the coat since I've been here. Matter of fact, it's hotter here than it is at home, I do believe. Man, everybody said South Dakota is cold. I'm telling you, something happened this week, man, I'm telling you. But uh, we're glad to be here tonight, glad to be in South Dakota. And uh, we, want to, we want to present the ministry to you tonight, the burden that the Lord has put on our heart. 
And uh, just share a few thoughts with you from the Word of God. Trust they'll be a blessing to you. So we'll show you the video tonight. And trust the Lord to use it to be a blessing to you. A good father. A good father is one who loves the Lord, saved, and serves the Lord. But he's also leading his family. And so he's going to spend time with his family with the Bible. He's going to spend time in prayer. He's going to spend time taking them to church. And he's going to spend time giving them the right views about life. And when a man doesn't know the Lord, he doesn't have the right input into his family. My dad is really, really caring. And he really cares a lot about his kids. And personally, I'm my dad's best friend. He's definitely that person that I go to when I need him. And he's definitely the person that I would always look up to. Hey, good afternoon, Shauna. This is Lieutenant Watson with the K-9 Division Local Sheriff's Department. I just called to let you know we've got your husband, Robbie. Uh, Robbie's been placed under arrest uh, for shoplifting, possession of drug paraphernalia. My team's still searching his car, so there could be other charges. Just wanted to give you a courtesy call, though, and let you know he's en route to the county jail. Probably have a bond hearing in the morning. I was like, do what? My heart just sunk. I was like, not again. This is not happening. Not again. I never did uh, drugs my whole life until I was about 25 or 26. Some people we were hanging around with introduced me to pain medicine. And I was always shy and timid and uptight. So the pain medicine, it made me feel like something I'd always been missing. And then I started taking a lot more and a lot more. So then when it got to where I was spending my whole paycheck, I started stealing to pay for the drugs so I'd have money to pay my bills. When I first messed up, I got caught. So they sent me to a Suboxone clinic. He did it, came home, stayed clean for a while. And then I started back using again. And then I got caught again, and they sent me to my first rehab. First rehab out of three, first. He did it, came home, Got in trouble again, went back. Rehab number two. Stayed clean for a little while, and then really got in trouble. I broke into a drug dealer's house to steal drugs, but I stole a gun instead. And in South Carolina, if you steal a gun, that's the same as committing armed robbery. I spent $10,000 on a lawyer to get me out of all this mess, and I still had to do a year's probation. So I was clean for the year probation, but Somebody come to work and the drug, he was a drug addict and I started using. This time when I started using, I started using meth and heroin. It was got hard to where you couldn't get pain pills anymore. So I just used whatever. And I was stealing stuff that I didn't need for reasons I don't know. And I got caught. That was the final straw. We're like, we can't, can't do this anymore. We have two kids and they need their daddy. And I need my husband. So our preacher said, let me see what I can do. And I believe he called Brother Willis, who put him in touch with Brother Jeff, and said, I have a church member who's desperately needing help. Robbie came and counted days, the first few days he was here, probably the first 
10 or 15 or 20 days he was here, he was counting days. When I got to Fairhaven, it was a little bit of a shock. Obviously, I was detoxing off of drugs, pretty hard drugs, and I was sick. When he got to the home, he was very disgruntled. But also, he was coming off some strong drugs, so. And anyway, long story, Robbie got saved after he'd been to the home for a while and completely changed his life and finished the program. I started counting down the days until I had to leave. I, di I didn't want to leave. When you do drugs, you're trying to fill the hole that the Lord is supposed to fill. So after I got saved, I, f I felt completely normal. And I didn't, I didn't haven't needed drugs at all. I don't even think about drugs, like ever, really. It, it's kind of weird. I never consider that as a possibility anymore. When I get upset, I don't think about it. Before, when I get upset, I thought about it all the time. When I got up in the morning, I think about it. Before I go into bed, I think about it. But now I took it all away. You know? Until a man gets saved, gives his life to Christ, lets Christ rule in his life, direct him, then life is pretty vain, and it ends up really being all about them. So it was crucial for me to get my life on track. So my I don't want my kids to, to live like I did. And I want them to always be there for their kids. A man who's living that lifestyle, sad to say, that's the way he's gonna take his family. Well, that's what he's gonna produce. And that's what we're seeing. I lived that life. I mean, I grew up in that. I saw what my father did, how it impacted our family in such a negative way. You would think that would infect your life that you would not go that way, but that's not how it happens. After I got saved and I began to live for the Lord and go to church and, you know, a total different setting for my family than what I grew up in affected my children. My pastor is my father and he come from that kind of lifestyle of drugs and alcohol and I guess I am a product of the difference the Lord can make in the life of a man personally and then in the life of his family. That's a large reason why when the home first started I really wanted to be involved in it is because of his, his influence and the change the Lord made in his life as well. 93% of the time that a man is led in a spiritual manner, his family will follow him. 93% of the time, that's a high statistic. So we started a men's home. When we started a home, we didn't have a place to keep them in, except we had a building here at the church, which could only house about five men. So we began to build a building for that, purchase land, and build a building to house the men. When we began construction, we had no money. As a matter of fact, the man that came to prepare the soil cleaned it off and said he needed dirt, and we didn't even have the money to buy the dirt and he, he found the dirt on the land, put it here, we didn't pay anything. And everything from that point on was the same way. $25,000 worth of sheetrock provided, $8,000 worth of insulation provided, labor, free labor, churches calling me wanting to come help. We've got a beautiful building that God provided every single, I mean, I went and preached revival in Ohio, the man that was in the church there provided the carpet, provided the vinyl. In this building, we'll be able to have 17 beds, which will be about 60 men a year that will go through this facility. It has a commercial kitchen, it has a big bathroom, it has a laundry room, my office is here, 
Everything that a man would need for 90 days would be provided for him and it would be provided through this building. Fairhaven is a name out of the Bible over in the book of Acts that they came to a place called Fairhaven, a place for them to stay, to winter in, so to speak, spiritually speaking. It's a place for them in the time of coldness, deadness in their life to be able to get a place to, you know, get some help in. Do you get disappointed? You certainly get disappointed. I mean, big time disappointed. But it's never changed my burden. I mean, I still, it's as real to me today as it was when the Lord first gave it to me. I wish the success rate was 100%, but it's, it's not near that. But we get a chance to present them with the truth and the gospel, and hopefully that seed sown will come to bring fruit later in life because we get to sow the seed in the Word of God every day, every morning, every night, every church service, every revival, taking them to meetings. They get to hear the Word of God. They get to see people that have been changed. So yeah, it's been, it's been successful in that sense. When Fairhaven Home for Men is finished with Jeff Crohn's, I want to see men with their lives changed, men back with their families, men going to their jobs every day, men having character and integrity in their life. They're trustworthy. Our goal is to reach men so men can reach their family. As it stands right now, we're averaging somewhere between uh, 12 to 15 calls a week of men that are in trouble. And uh, these men are calling us. We're not going to them. They're calling us and uh, asking for help. And I don't know how, Brother Haley, I don't know how to relay that burden other than try to put yourself in that position if that's possible. If your phone rang that many times a week from men all over the country asking for help from mothers from daddies, from family members, even they themselves are calling, saying, Preacher, is there any way you could help us? Our addiction has taken over our life, and uh, we are in desperate need of help. F 12 to 15 calls a week. 80% um, of those calls come from within the four walls of the church. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of people get upset when I say this, and I don't say it to intentionally upset anybody, but the fact of the matter is... Um, 80% of those calls are in regards to prescription drugs. Uh, we're living in a country that gets up in the morning because of prescription drugs. They function because of them, and they go to bed at night because of them. And uh, so they're calling because of prescription drugs. I'll let you figure the number, 12 to 15 calls a week. You figure that out, how many calls that is a year. And 80% uh, of whatever that number is is in regards to prescription drugs. Uh, as a matter of fact, we have had men in our home that were independent fundamental Baptist missionaries on foreign fields. We've had men in our home that have pastored churches. And uh, I hear the story probably every week of my life, sometimes every day it seems like. Uh, they had surgery for one reason or another and uh, were put on prescription drugs and uh, got addicted to them. And tonight they have no family, they have no ministry. They have absolutely nothing, uh, all because of an addiction to prescription drugs. 
As a matter of fact, I will not call his name, but I can tell you about a missionary that we supported for many years on a foreign field, and uh, him and his family were known as a great family doing a great work for the Lord. He had surgery while on the field, got addicted to drugs, prescription drugs, then that led to alcohol. Him and his wife busted up. He ended up back in Columbia, South Carolina. He died about a year, year and a half ago, I guess. And he died on the streets of Columbia. No house, no car, no family, no anything. Uh, his ministry was gone. Everything was gone, all because of an addiction. Now, I want to say this tonight, and I think you'll agree with me. I believe if God is able to save a man, and he is, if God's able to save a man, there's no addiction he cannot help them overcome. Amen? If God is able to save an individual, there's no addiction uh, he cannot help them overcome. And uh, since we've been on the road, we've been on the road about 13 years now, I guess. Since we've been on the road, I think we've been in, I don't know, four or 500 churches maybe. And I don't think, preach, I think I can safely say I don't think I've been in any church yet that there's not been a family who has not been affected by drugs. Uh, when you, you see, when you think about a ministry of our, like ours, you think about crack cocaine, you think about meth, you think about fentanyl, you think about all these different type of drugs. But uh, we're, not, we're dealing with those. We are dealing with those. But the largest thing we're dealing with is prescription drugs. And I'm glad we have the answer to the problem. Uh, it's, not, it's, not in a, it's, not in, it's in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's able to help you overcome your addiction. Amen? And uh, so I thank the Lord for that. Let me tell you a little bit about what we do. Uh, we have two programs. We have a three-month program and uh, we have a 12-month program. And uh, just to give you a little better understanding, when a man calls, he says, uh, Brother Philip, I'm uh, currently addicted to this drug, on alcohol, whatever the case may be, and I am in desperate need of help. I'll ask him if he will commit to three months, 90 days. And if he says yes, he will, then if we have a bed available, we will let that man come. While he's there, we will house him, we will clothe him, we will feed him, we will take care of all of his medical expense, and uh, everything that he needs while he's there, we will help him take care of that. Uh, we charge a one-time fee of $250. That's all we charge. He has the possibility of staying with us for 15 months if he so desires. And uh, so we ask him if he'll commit, he comes. Uh, they'll get up in the morning, they'll have devotion. They'll work all day. They'll have devotion tomorrow night. And uh, every day of their life, devotion in the morning, work all day, devotion at night, revival meetings, camp meetings, whatever, wherever we can get the opportunity to get them under the sound of the gospel because we know that's the only answer, that's the only thing that can change their lives. And so he commits to 90 days. He stays with us. At the end of that 90 days, he comes to us. He says, Brother Philip, I'm not ready to go back home. If I go back home, my friends are there, my family's there, they're drug addicts, they're drunks, and I'm scared to go back. We offer him a 12-month program. In that program, we'll teach them a financial class. We'll help them get their GED, help them get their driver's license, anything they need, help them get a house to rent if that's what they want to do, a car to drive, anything they need while they're with us. We'll help them obtain and mentor them while they're there. 
Our goal is to see them get saved, get grounded in the Word of God, and then prayerfully one day send them back home, get them in a good church, and watch God put their families back together again and let them serve God and be a testimony to what the grace of God can do uh, in the life of an individual. You say, Brother Philip, does God still save people like that? Well, uh, you saw my daddy in the video there. My granddaddy was known as a town drunk, literally. If you went to Cottageville, South Carolina, everybody knew Alan Willis. He was a town drunk. They said there's no hope for him. There's no help for him. Just leave him alone. He's going to die that way. There's no, there's, there, he, he can't be helped. And I just so happened that a Baptist preacher from up the road come walking down the hill and told my granddaddy, said, Alan, we found a place where you can go to get some help. They packed my granddaddy up, took him to Columbia, South Carolina. Long story short, my granddaddy got saved by the grace of God. God changed his life. So much so, he went back to the high school my daddy went to and testified to the fact of what God had done in his heart, become a deacon in the Baptist church there in that town. My daddy followed those same footsteps, drugs and alcohol. Went to a gospel singing one night, didn't know they'd be preaching there that night, and they heard the good news that Jesus could change his life for time and eternity. My daddy run down the aisle, literally run down the aisle, and got saved by the grace of God. Now he's been pastoring 42 years. Can Jesus make a difference in a person's life? You better believe Jesus can make a difference in the life of an individual. Brother Philip, why do you say that? Well, here's the impact. Here's the impact one man has on the life of those around him. One man got saved by the grace of God. My daddy got saved by the grace of God. Because he got saved, I don't know what drugs are. Because he got saved, I don't know what alcohol is. Because he got saved, I got saved. Because he got saved, none of my children know what drugs and alcohol is. They don't know what that kind of life is. One man's impact. How far will the impact of one man go and make an effect in the lives of countless people? Amen. And uh, so God has burdened our heart. We're dealing with men 18 years old and up. And uh, you might find this hard to believe. The hardest crowd to deal with is the 18-year-old. I'd a whole lot rather deal with a 67-year-old than I would an 18-year-old. No, no offense if you're 18, all right? I was 18 one time a few years ago. But uh, 18 years old is the hardest crowd to deal with. And, but we deal with men 18 years old and up. And uh, I wish you would pray for us in that ministry. It's not a, it's not a very, um, it's not outwardly, it's not a very, uh, it's not a very, um, it's not an easy ministry, I'll put it that way. I guess in 13 years of uh, having the home, I guess the, everybody says, what is the success rate? What is the success rate? Well, uh, if, you, if you win one to the Lord, then I'll count that as success, wouldn't you say? But uh, I guess the success rate is probably 12 to 15%, I would say, uh, is probably the success rate. Uh, but we're not in it for numbers. We just want to see men get their heart and lives right with God and uh, live and be a testimony to what God can do in the life of an individual. Uh, let me tell you what the Lord's done for us. Um, when we began, we said, Lord, we don't, we don't, um, we don't have any money. And uh, if we're going to have such a ministry as this, then you're going to have to provide the money. That's just all there is to it. And so 27 acres of land come up for sale down the road, about a mile down the road from the church. 
And uh, we went and signed the papers, not having any money, not knowing how we were going to make the payment. Sometime later, a man come walking in church on a Sunday morning. And uh, you got to understand, I've been raised in a pastor's home. And uh, any time a man comes to the pastor and says, Preacher, I need to talk to you in the office, most of the time that's not a very good thing. But on this Sunday morning, he come walking in and said, Preacher, I need to talk to you after church in the office. And uh, so they met in the office. And uh, I, 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 your pastor's a Baptist preacher, so he's probably the same way. Uh, Any time a man pulls out a checkbook and a pen, uh, you automatically have our attention. Amen. And uh, so he pulled out his checkbook and his pen, and uh, he talked and he talked. I didn't think he was going to ever be quiet. I was glad when he quit talking and started writing. Amen. And uh, so he gave us a check, put a check in our hand, and walked out. We opened the check. We paid $220,000 for 27 acres of land. And uh, he pulled out his check, wrote, wrote a check, handed it to us. He left. When he left, we opened the check. He wrote us a check for $195,000. Don't get too excited. That happens here all the time. That don't happen much where we are. $195,000. Here's the amazing part about that is it didn't bounce when it went to the bank. It was good. $195,000. You know how much money we owe the land at the time he wrote the check? $195,000. So we said, Lord, we got enough faith to believe you can pay the land off, you can build a building. Amen. And uh, so we began building, as you saw in the video there. And uh, tonight we sit on 27 acres of land with a 6,500 square foot building that you just saw in the video. And uh, we don't know a dime on any of it. Amen. God paid for it all. I'm glad he's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Amen. And uh, so we thank the Lord for what he's done for us. We're, ha- we, we're able to house about 17 men. Uh, we have ten, 9 or 10 right now. Uh, we don't have the staff. Uh, the staff, there's three of us and uh, you're looking at one of them. And uh, we just don't have the staff to handle 17 men. So if the Lord reminds you, I wish you would pray for us in that regard, that the Lord would supply the staff that we need, that we would be able to handle the the number of men that we're capable of handling. And uh, so pray for us in that regard, if the Lord reminds you. And then uh, my family and I, I, I've been preaching since I was young. I've had opportunities to pastor. I've had a couple opportunities to do different things and just never felt like uh, never felt like the Lord wanted me to do anything else. Really didn't know what the Lord wanted us to do, and um, so I began praying. When the ministry come open, I said, "Lord, I've, I've I've never I've never been on drugs, never been on alcohol, but I want to do something to be involved, be a part of the ministry." And uh, long story short, the Lord allowed us to have the position that we have now. We are representatives, full time representatives of the home. And uh, so my purpose of being here tonight, like any other church that we're in, I am here presenting the burden of Fairhaven Home for Men, rescuing the lives of men that are addicted to drugs and alcohol. So I'm raising support for the ministry, but also I'm raising personal support for my family and I as well. We are with Prayer Baptist Missions International out of Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, we are at about 75, 80% of our support. And so I wish you would pray for us in that regard that the Lord would help us raise our support so we can focus on the ministry itself. We do have some prayer cards. And um, my wife knows what I'm fixing to say because I say it everywhere I go. Put it in the place you go most often. 
And if you're a true Baptist, you spend a lot of time at the refrigerator, amen. We eat fried chicken tonight, amen. And uh, so stop by the refrigerator when you see our picture, pray for us that the Lord would help us as we travel the roads. Uh, we're asking the Lord to open doors. We're the next, uh, I don't know, the next six, eight, ten weeks. We're pretty busy, but we want to be busier than what we are now. And um, sharing the burden that the Lord's put on our heart. And uh, so I wish you would pray for us in that regard. I want to share one verse with you, preacher. I'm probably going to give you some time back if that's all right. Psalm 142, I want to read a passage to you. And uh, give me about five minutes. Psalm 142. And I'll point out one verse. I'm not going to elaborate on it. I just want to point out one verse. It's a verse your pastor's probably preached on. You've probably read. But I want to point it out to you tonight uh, just as a means of a, a thought from the Bible. Psalm 142, verse number 1. The Bible said, of course, the psalmist David said, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice uh, unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand, and behold, there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass me about. For thou shalt deal bountifully with me. The psalmist David is in a crisis. As a matter of fact, David is in a cave. The Bible said while David was in that cave, he said in verse number 4, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. Notice that next phrase. No man cared for my soul. Now wait a minute, wait a minute. Notice who made this statement. The psalmist David said, I was in a bad situation. I was under bad circumstances. And I got to the point where it seemed that no man cared for my soul. I want to ask you a question tonight. And I'm going to give some time back to the preacher. Who cares? Does anybody really care? Does anybody really care? David said, the psalmist of Israel said, no man cared for my soul. Does anybody really care? I read a story some time ago. I read a story some time ago a missionary on a farm field and uh, he give a tract to a, to a family that was very, very, very extremely poor. That family read that, that mother read the gospel tract and got saved. She said, man, this is so good, I want my son to read this tract. And her son read the tract and he got saved. 
He said, man, this has done me so much good. And it's changed my life and my mama's life. My friends have got to hear of what Jesus can do. I want them to experience the same thing and to know the same thing I know. So he got his friends together, all 30 of his friends, and called them together and read the track to them. And all 30 of his friends got saved. You know why they got saved? I think when the story ended, somewhere around 40 or 50 people ended up getting saved out of one gospel track. You know why they got saved? Because a missionary cared enough to give one individual a gospel track. And all of those people got saved because that one man cared enough to give them a gospel track. I want to ask you a question tonight. Who cares? Does anybody really care? Can I say tonight that we're living in a country that is hurting? Amen. I believe in foreign missions. We ought to support foreign missions. I'm involved in foreign missions. We ought to send missionaries across the field, across the seas. But somebody better help our own country. Amen. Our country needs help. Does anybody care? David said, who cares? Would you pray for us tonight? Pray for the Willis family that God would use us to help be a part in rescuing the lives of these men so they can be a testimony to what the grace of God can do in their lives. Lord, we thank you for this privilege. I pray you bless this church, this pastor. Give them the desire of their heart. Thank you, uh, Lord, for allowing our, my, me and my wife to be here tonight. I pray that you take something we've said, use it for your honor and glory for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I appreciate that tonight. Uh, what a wonderful ministry, amen, and uh, what, a, what a blessing. And, you know, we we're, have the opportunity to have a missions emphasis over, you know, tonight and then coming up on this Sunday as well. And it's just a reminder, no man cared for my soul. I'm glad somebody cared about me, and I believe that every one of us, if we're sitting here tonight, we can think about somebody that we found that cared about us, right? Uh, the, the, without, without question, I think probably the reason we're here tonight, is that right? Anybody here? is everyone can anybody who's all here because somebody cared about you you can think about somebody man they cared for me they cared enough to share the gospel they cared they cared enough to put share an interest and put an interest in my life and uh you know and 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 when i think about having a missions emphasis you know the very first thing i think about is one of the things i say so often is is it's so easy to forget about the great mission that we're involved in that jesus christ he came so that all men would be saved right but he also came that all men be saved, and that includes us, so we get saved. Well, and then what? You know, it's not just about, okay, coming and enjoying the, the blessings of salvation. We do that, and we live the abundant Christian life. But a part of that abundant Christian life is, is, is finding somebody else to share the gospel with. And so, in a sense, we're all missionaries. It's just like that woman at the, at the, the, woman at the well, right? She heard the gospel. Then she said, come see a man. I met Jesus. I want you to meet him. And she made it a difference. So if, you, if you're here and you don't know Jesus tonight, or you're listening and you don't know Jesus, hey, that's the main thing. He, say, he cares for your soul. He cared enough for your soul that he went to the cross, he died for your sins, he rose again the third day. But if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, man, understand that you really have a greater mission. And I know we all have different callings for many people. Their, their calling as a Christian, their gifts as a Christian, involves some of the behind-the-scenes kind of work. Never been up on the stage, never been up in the front or center. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing, no matter, as far as in the church, all of that leads, number one, to somebody getting saved, right? Every job is important. Uh, 
in doing that from the from the floors being clean to the whatever else it all leads to somebody having the opportunity to hear the gospel but when we go out of here just care about somebody some people are hesitant to talk to somebody about the lord and show they care about because well what if they ask me a question i don't know does anybody know the answer to that by the way what if somebody asks you a question you don't know i don't know all right but i do know this you know it reminds me of the man we you know we we were uh, we, we started with the man that was, that was healed, that was born blind, and, and, uh, and they come and they ask him, well, is this man a prophet? Is he, he's, who? He's, well, I don't know about any of that, but I know I was, I was blind, but now I see. Amen? Hey, and that's, that's what you can say. Hey, I don't know, but I know this much. I know what Jesus has done in my life. Amen? I know what Jesus has done in my life. And, uh, and there's people here today, and this church is growing because you have the attitude of a missionary. And that because everyone, somebody said it this way, you either are a missionary or you need a missionary. One or the other. You either are a missionary or you need a missionary. Now, we preach that, and I believe that all the time. I want to really lay that upon your heart. But then the next stage is there are certain people that God calls for that to be what their life is. You know, just like myself, I'm here because... The Lord called me to come here, and this is where the Lord sent me. And the way I got here, by the way, was just like Brother Willis tonight, just like Brother Jorpland come Sunday, people that uh, I come and stood in churches and said, folks, there's people out in that part of the country that need to hear the gospel, and I want to go start a church. And, uh, and you know what? People help me to get here, right? And, uh, and that's a blessing because that's my calling. That's my life. And, and that's what these men do. But, but I, say, I say that because in 2 Corinthians, when it, there's a section that talks about giving, but it says this, how that the, the people, the Macedonian Christians that gave, it says they, they didn't do this as we had first hoped, but Paul said this, they gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So before they gave a dime, they gave themselves, amen? Because that's really what it's about. But it's just the blessing. And just so you know how it works here at Elk Point Baptist Church, when it comes to missions giving, if we have a missionary like this come in, um, we, don't, we don't like budget out of our general giving, the general offerings for missions. Uh, everything that we give to missions all comes through what's designated for missions. People that say, I'm going to give uh, my tithe, uh, you know, to the, to the functioning of the church, the working of the church. But above that, I'm going to give extra so that when we have missionaries here, I can have a part in what they're doing. I can have a part in reaching somebody. And just the, just the blessing it is to invest in missions, to invest in souls. And it's just one of the coolest things ever because uh, if, if any of you do any investing, you know, uh, I don't look at, you know, I, I do a little bit of investing, uh, and, and, and I don't really keep up a whole lot with what's going on. I probably should. Uh, the guy that does my investing, he said, yeah, you're the perfect guy, right? He said, because if you're looking at it, you're always wanting to move and change and pull stuff out. Oh, my goodness. Um, but, but either way, you, 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 look, you look at those returns, and you look, hey, man, we're, you know, we're actually accumulating some stuff, and, and, and you can see the increase there. Well, what we do with missionaries is, is we get prayer letters from them. And every time we get a prayer letter from Brother Shoemaker that says, hey, went into a village, got to see somebody saved, ching right? I mean, just like, praise God. That's, you talk about a return on investment. And I'll, and I'll be honest with you, you know, like, you know, you could tell just like, man, we've got, you know, b below a 15% success rate. Well, I'll take that. You know, I'll, I'll take if, if, if one out of every 10 people I witness to 
And I know it's more than just witnessing, but I'll take that if one out of ten people get saved, right? Uh, and, and so you get that back. And, and, and regardless of that, you know what? You make the effort. Somebody's caring for the souls of those other men, and you don't know even down the road. I mean, there may not be an immediate success rate, but I'm telling you that those seeds that were planted, I mean, those things are coming back. And, and I'm saying that because I'm just trying to take advantage of the fact that we've got a missionary tonight, a missionary Sunday, to let you know kind of how we do it uh, as a church and, and the blessing it is. I'm not up here begging, not up here telling you you got to do it, but I'm just telling you it's something that, that many of us have been involved in, and it's just a joy to, but, but as a church, that's how we have a part. And as individuals in the church, we have that part just by saying, you know what, I'm going to designate this much a month. Uh, you know, that, that I'm just going to give. And so, and then what we do is we come back. Uh, we'll meet together sometimes as a missions team. And if you're interested in being a part of that, and then we would talk about, hey, uh, what about this missionary? What about this mission project? What about a one-time offering? Um, and then we would come before the church and say, hey, folks, we thought about it, prayed about it. Kind of how, I'm just letting you know, we've got a lot of new folks as the church is growing, but that's kind of how we do with missions. So, uh, man, thank you, Brother Willis, so much tonight. Uh, I really appreciate the work they're doing. Um, you know, our baskets, I don't even know where they're at. we got stuff around everywhere. But uh, you, do we, they're in the trailer, so, so go out to the trailer if you need to and put some money in the basket if you have something that you'd like to give uh, to the missionaries. But, Ryan, let's see if we can find a bowl or something in the kitchen. We'll do it. We'll make it fancy. Um, and uh, they'd set that out. It'd be better if we had a KFC bucket or something. But we'll – and don't just get that one of them little styrofoam coffee cups, brother. Um, all right, but if you have something you'd like to give to help out the Willises, to help out the home, uh, that'd be a blessing. Amen. All right, um, right before we dismiss tonight, is there any, uh, any questions or comments? Uh, any, any questions you'd have for Brother Philip, by the way? Any questions you'd have for Philip? All right. Uh, I, you hear me talk a lot. I think just Sunday, if it, I, I speak from time to time on this prescription drug issue. I'm not against prescription drugs, right? Uh, don't, don't misunderstand it. I don't believe that's what he's saying either. But, but it's just it's good to understand that. It's good to be wise and understand how quickly that stuff can happen. Um, and, yes, yeah, seriously, I was at a, a safety conference uh, at, when I was working at Polaris. I went, they sent me to a safety conference. And, but that was one of the things that they had a speaker in talking about. I mean, it's at, at that time, this has probably been four years ago, that well over, uh, well over half of the drug addiction problems in our country are prescription drug issues. And, man, it's just uh, it's real, real subtle. Um, all right, any questions for me on the way we do missions or any of those kinds of things? It's something we're trying to get better at, okay, and get more communication on and everything. It's uh, just like many of our other teams. It's a team that we're trying to get together uh, and work on better. But we do have people that faithfully give to missions, and, so, and monthly we're sending out support uh, to our missionaries. But, but I, I, for one, want to uh, take on more missionaries. Uh, we've got there's some great missionaries that we've had come that I would love to have a part in their ministries. and so. Uh, but we do that just by raising awareness and saying, hey, this is how it happens, all right? All right, well, hey, praise the Lord. Barb, do you have something? It's funny when you're a preacher. You, you move hands, and Nicole earlier was just putting something up in her mouth, and I'm like, there's one, you know, and uh, it's like, like an auctioneer. Uh, hey, Amen. Yeah, are, are you really? Okay. Okay. <laughs>